It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles. An audio adventure. The story thus far. Evangeline has been betrayed. After welcoming McAllen, Tully and Harlequin into Leviathan City, Evangeline reluctantly agrees to provide Anton with the medical care he requires from the injuries he sustained during the Starstone neutralization. Surprisingly, Evangeline is curious and warm towards McAllen, her genetic twin. In her, Evangeline sees a younger version of herself, unburdened by the responsibilities she has shouldered under the Eden Initiative. She befriends McAllen and offers to show her Leviathan City and meet some of its inhabitants. But their tour is cut short by news that a severe security breach has occurred within the underwater city's AI computer system that could threaten the safety and secrecy of Leviathan. Evangeline rushes to the war room to be confronted that Harlequin, with whom she has just spent the evening, is responsible for the attack. Accusations fly, and violence breaks out in the war room. Harlequin reveals that Bennu is actually Kriegerson, Evangeline's ancient nemesis from medieval Norway, 1,000 years ago. But on the other side of the world, Mai Li and Oberlin continue their journey aboard the Tangula Railway, heading towards Lhasa, the capital of Tibet. Mai Li's father, Dr. Ten Sui, has given her a rendezvous point high in the Himalayan mountains that she is desperately trying to reach. The two of them have also stolen a briefcase from the Black Door Group, which has allowed them to communicate with mysterious individuals who claim to be held prisoner in Leviathan. But a deadly showdown is about to take place. Whit Roberts has boarded the Tangula at a remote supply stop, and he wants his briefcase back. And now, Chapter 23, Lhasa. The bright pale moon rose over the empty Tibetan plain. Supplemental oxygen slowly hissed through the compartments of the Tangula Railway as it reached 15,000 feet on the high passes through the Himalayas. By now, the majority of the passengers aboard the luxury train had retired to their cabins for the evening. The dining car had served its last portion of snow crab thermidor, and only a single light remained illuminated in the bar car. But inside one of the sumptuous cabins, one man was very much awake and making meticulous preparations. The briefcase is here. Oberlin St. Clair is here. Should have taken both last night, but I was still so tired from my injuries. I've had to wait for darkness again. Now I have one chance, one perfect chance to make it all right again. Stupid Irishman doesn't know what the hell he's done. What danger he's put us all in. Damn him. Damn him! Whit Robert's hand drifted to where his right ear used to be. But what I really want is revenge. Revenge for maiming me. Revenge for taking the fucking briefcase. Kill that Chinese bitch, too. I'll take back what they took from me. I'll, I'll fucking kill... Whit turned his attention to the laptop on the cabin desk. He punched in a 19-digit access code and opened the secure communication software to patch him in with his caller. Whit, this is Jason. Are you in position? I'm in place, Jason. Excellent. We've isolated the location of Target Zero. I'm transmitting the coordinates now. Neutralize or apprehend? Neutralize with prejudice. 
with pleasure. And the rendezvous. Still on schedule. I'm assembling the enforcer team now to assist with the extraction. The team will be ready in 48 hours. Jason, uh, once the rescue mission is complete, how do we know that the... Excuse me, sir. Would you like a newspaper delivered to your cabin in the morning? No. Uh, um, yes. Uh, the Herald Tribune, please. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Good night. Whit waited until he could no longer hear the sounds of the cabin attendant knocking on people's doors. He quickly returned to his computer screen, but found that the screen had gone blank. The line was dead. Whit shut his eyes tightly and closed the screen of the laptop before walking over to the full-length mirror by the door. He examined himself carefully and saw that he looked the part perfectly. There was just one last detail. (sighs) Whit fished in his pocket for a palm-sized piece of rubber. Whit squirted a bit of specialized adhesive on the prosthetic ear he held and affixed it to the right side of his head. It was a humiliating nuisance but he couldn't risk any distinguishing facial features that would allow someone to recognize him. He also needed the ear in order to wear his glasses. Damn it, now I need equipment for my equipment. Whit quickly looked around his room for any incriminating evidence. All of his bags were still neatly packed. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. The only bit of hardware that gave any inclination regarding Whit's real identity was the laptop computer still plugged into the Tangula's ethernet port. Wit turned and gave himself one last glance in the mirror, and then stepped out into the hallway. To the untrained eye, Wit played the part of the hapless American in a foreign land perfectly. He resembled the embodiment of the older, upper-middle-class, suburban American tourist, a humble astronomer wearing a single-breasted navy blue blazer, Brooks Brothers blue Oxford shirt, khaki pants, and matching cordovan belt and shoes. But to the trained eye, Whit Roberts was going hunting. The blue button-down Oxford shirt was woven from bullet-resistant Spectra fabric and could stop the fire from a 9mm handgun. Whit's Cordovan penny loafers featured small blackened copper tips that were capable of delivering a 75,000-volt charge from the lithium batteries contained in the heels. His belt buckle was detachable, releasing a razor-thin steel cable that could be used as a gurret or as a repelling device. The inside of his khaki trousers were lined with ballistic nylon and stitched with Kevlar thread, allowing the same abrasion resistance as bulky motorcycle leathers in case it fell from a rapidly moving object. His eyeglasses were equipped with infrared lenses and a high-resolution camera with facial recognition software, maintaining a wireless connection to the laptop still running in Witt's cabin. But it was his blue blazer that was the most sophisticated piece of equipment. The blazer contained two hidden gun holsters covered with an X-ray reflective lead coating, in addition to two small push-knife pockets concealed within each shoulder pad. Each gold button of the jacket was actually a concentrated blasting cap, and the internal stitching of the blazer was connected to a razor-thin flexible polymer battery that could maintain core body temperature for over 72 hours. Lastly, the velour piping along the inside bottom of the blazer contained a pressurized chamber of hydrogen cyanide that would be capable of killing a room full of people in under 60 seconds. Witt knew that he could hold his breath for more than 60 seconds. <sighs> okay, so you have to prepare yourself. This Chinese woman with Oberlin, we know she's black door. She'll be difficult to neutralize. I can't have a firefight on the train. Too messy. Too much attention. If they stop the train, I'm toast. No extraction point. I'll be caught on the remote plains. Still another 10 hours to Lhasa. Now, now, I need to strike hard and fast. Discreet brutality.
Whit walks slowly through the passenger car, noting the gold numbers embossed in the polished walnut cabin doors. Hours earlier, Whit had discovered that Mr. and Mrs. Stuart Clenahan were the only passengers on board that had purchased their tickets within the last week. Twelve hours after the Idrisil was destroyed, right before Sanctuary became a shooting range, if Oberlin St. Clair is on this train, then 6.15 has to be his cabin. Whit walked quietly down the corridor of the sixth train car, appearing to be the nonchalant astronomer. A porter entered the car at the far end and brushed past him pushing a silver trolley upon which sat a platter of bananas and a chilled bowl filled with scoops of ice cream. Good evening, Dr. Gordon. Good evening. <laughs> oh, this is our evening ice cream service. A banana split prepared in your cabin. Would you like me to send your cabin steward over to... <laughs> no, no, it, it looks delicious. It's just... Whit Roberts stuck his belly forward and gave it a few pats with his hand. Oh, of course, sir. Please enjoy your evening. Oh, I will. <laughs> Once Whit was sure that the porter was safely out of view, he approached cabin number 615 and carefully took one more glance to his left and right. Whit needed less than a few seconds to dismantle the rudimentary lock to the cabin, but he afforded himself a few more for the benefit of keeping his motions utterly silent. He looked down at his feet and saw that there was no light leaking out from beneath the door. Whit pressed his ear close to it and listened for any sound coming from inside the cabin. No sound, no lights. It's still too early for bed. They must still be in the bar car. Still. Take no chances. Whit withdrew the raw Bogue R9S stealth pistol from the inside pocket of his blazer. He removed the safety, cocked the pistol, took one deep breath, and shoved the door open hard. <coughs> Whit immediately raced inside and began scanning the room frantically. Come in, get the door, stay low. Any attack will come from high. Door to the left, bathroom, no targets, clean. Bed, clean. Chair, clean. Closets. Where are the fucking closets? There, closets. Clean. Stop, Stop and listen. Room is secure. Keeping his eyes on the corners of the room in case he missed something, Whit ran his hand along the side of the wall, searching for a light switch. The dimly lit room filled with soft light, and Whit could take in his surroundings in greater detail. Two sets of clothes, men's and women's, IDs. There has to be some sort of here. Passports. Stuart Clenahan and Elaine Clenahan. MasterCard World Elite. American Express Centurion Card. Whatever. Weapons. She must have weapons hidden. Whit grabbed every drawer and ripped each one out of the wall, covering half the room in under five seconds. No, that's not where she'd put that. I'd want them where I could access them easily if I was in danger. Whit ran to the bathroom and found a Glock 23 hidden in the vanity under the sink. He then raced over to the windows to find an HKP7 duct tape behind the curtains. Turning to the bed, he yanked the mattress off the bed frame to find two throwing knives hidden beneath it. Hmm, she's black door, but there has to be something else. Something I'm missing. Whit was on autopilot, tearing apart the room. But suddenly, all of his training failed him, and Whit froze as soon as he saw the it. The briefcase. In a small corner beside the bed lay Whit Roberts' briefcase, containing the communications device he claimed allowed him to talk to gods. A black silk dress had been laid on top of it, disguising its presence. But pushing over the mattress knocked the dress to the floor, revealing its titanium case. Yes, yes, Jesus, thank God I've got it back. I have to make sure that they haven't... What the hell is this? Beside the briefcase lay several topological maps of Tibet and the Himalayan mountain region. In the right corner of one of the maps, someone had handwritten a set of GPS coordinates. Red and green ink was scrawled along several of the high-altitude passes and had accompanying notes that read, Too far off course. Access to supplies limited. Too technical. Best route for Oberlin. But Wit's heart stopped beating when he saw the giant red X circled in the middle of the map. My god, it's Mount Shenglong, the rendezvous point. But that's fucking impossible. How could they no, this can't be happening. How do they know? How in the hell can they possibly know? <laughs>
I didn't know steak tartare meant it was raw. Well, what did you think the tartare meant, silly? You know, the creamy white stuff you dip your clams into. Uh, you are a very cute Irishman. Mm. Mm. You say that to all the nine-fingered mm. men you rescue from rice paddies. Only the ones who know how to read palms. Really, you are so cheesy. I'm telling you, I was raised by gypsies in the Carpathian Mountains. You lie. Come here, you. Mm. I think we have another bottle of Hennessy inside the mini bar. Ugh, where is the damn cabin key? I've got your key right here. Stop you! Ugh, here it is. Oh, I left the stupid door open. We should really. <laughs> Whip grabbed Oberlin's wrist and twisted at 180 degrees while violently what pulling the? him into the cabin. Miley instinctively reached towards her thigh garter holster, but Whip was too fast. With his adrenaline surging, he snatched a fistful of her hair and yanked her neck hard to the side, throwing her into the cabin. He jammed his arm across her neck, spun behind her, and pressed the point of the push knife against her carotid artery. With his free hand, he drew the R9 and bore down on Oberlin. Don't move. I found all the weapons in the cabin. If I even think you're moving, I'll shoot. And all I need to do is flick my wrist and your girlfriend will bleed out in about 30 seconds with absolutely nothing in the world for you to do to save her. Oberlin stared helplessly. A tiny dot of blood was forming just above the knife point Wit held against Miley's neck. Please shut up. That map. Where did you get that map? Um, National Geographic? <laughs> Next time, you lose another pinky. <laughs> It is my map. Those are my notes. Those coordinates. Where the hell did you get those coordinates? Tell me! Fine. <laughs> You're just making this more enjoyable for me. Wit walked over to Oberlin and kicked him in the shin hard. <laughs> 75,000 volts brutally shot through Oberlin St. Clair's body, assaulting every muscle fiber he had. He flew off the chair and landed in heat on the floor. <laughs> What'll be interesting is the next kick. I'm gonna go for a headshot just above the ear. With a little luck, I could score brain damage or a light stroke. All I need to do is- My father. My father gave me those coordinates. And who the hell is your father? Dr. Tengsui. What? That's impossible. You're lying to me. No, I'm not lying. Let's prove it. Turn around. Let me get a good look at you. The tips of Whit Robert's eyeglasses pulsed a tiny flash of light, and within seconds he began to see words and images flashing across the tiny heads-up display built into the right eye lens. My lead, graduate, Stanford University, five years with the Foreign Service, six years with CIA Special Activities Division, level 40 security clearance, daughter of Dr. Tang Sui, critical target, protected status. My god, you are Sui's daughter. Please, let me go. What are you doing at Mount Shenglong? Meeting my father for a cup of green tea. Why do you care about a remote mountain in Tibet? Hand me the briefcase from over there. You are going to this mountain as well. Door number 12 has business there. You have business with my father. Listen to me carefully. Your status says you're protected. That means I have orders not to hurt you. But I will easily break those orders if you make any move that I perceive as a risk. I'm going to let you go, but I will have my gun aimed directly at Oberlin's head. I want you to sit on the bed, facing me, with your hands on your knees. Do you understand? Miley nodded, and Whit Roberts released his grip and let the push knife slowly drop away from her neck. She did as she was told, walking slowly to the bed and sat down with her hands on her knees. 
You opened fire in Sanctuary. You've brought the world down upon Black Door. The world has more pressing problems, and so do you. If I were you, I'd be a lot more concerned about telling me what I want to know. Where would you like me to start? Why Mount Shenglong? How did you get the court- Can't you see it? We're both going there for the same reason. It's my father. He called us there. I haven't seen my father in decades. The bigger question is, what are you doing there? Our door has been hired for an extraction mission. Not exactly the typical stock and trade for door number 12. The price was right. Wait, you're there to get my father. Your father is an architect, a brilliant one, in a plan to save the Earth. Take me to him. He won't help you if you don't let me come. He called out to me. He wanted me to meet him there at Mount Shenglong. You know, I'm telling the truth. How in the hell could I have gotten those coordinates otherwise? Whip stood in silence, considering this. You need me. I'm door number three. My specialty is Sino-American espionage. I can get us in and out of Tibet. We have an extraction plan. Well, given the fact that you're standing in front of me with only one ear, I'm going to humbly suggest that things don't always go according to plan. You'd be wise to use every asset at your disposal to ensure the success of your mission. He's my father. He obviously called us both there for a reason. Take me with you. Fine. Fine. You'll come with me. I'll get you to your father because we need him, and there's a chance I might need you. But what we don't need is a lot of extra weight slowing us down in the mountains. Your train buddy has been a serious pain in my ass, and the world is about to be a better place without him. No, please. <laughs> Payback's a bitch, Oberlin. Say goodbye to your little friend. No, don't, please. I'm begging you. Sorry, no pets allowed on the train. Before you do anything you might regret, you should know that I've really enjoyed getting the chance to play with your briefcase. Quite a fascinating piece of electronics you've got yourself there. As if you had any idea how to... How to operate a high-frequency transponder designed to decrypt an amplify satellite-generated gamma rays? Yeah, I'm a pretty quick study. I'm also really good at locking up briefcases. Thank you, Oberlin, but I think I can pick a briefcase lock if I need to. I'm sure you can. But I've actually encrypted the frequency modulator to only scan randomly without the ability to hone in on the higher signals. Nice bluff. But you would know how know to... Know how to what? Operate a communications device. Who are the two people on the other end of the line with? Why do they need rescuing? What is Leviathan? Oh my god, I can't believe it. You actually- Yeah, well, like I said, I'm good at a lot of things. Bar tricks, mostly. But when it comes to- Wit raised his pistol at Oberlin. I'm going to- Kill me? Is that your big, bad guy plan? Just pop me off with your evil villain gun. Well, get something straight before you do, laddie. You kill me, you will never, ever be able to use that briefcase again. If you breathe on Miley the wrong way, you will never, ever use that briefcase again. You think I'm bluffing? Think harder. You've underestimated me at every turn. Miley needs you now to get to her father. You need me to unlock the frequency of your damn briefcase and- And you need Miley. I don't need anything. Fine, fine. We'll all be one big happy menage a trois of spies trapezing all over the ceiling of the world. A team. Is that what you want? No, it's not what I want, but I think it's what we'll have to do in order to get what we want. Well then, I'm going to suggest our first team building exercise. Oberlin, the code to the frequency module, if you please. <laughs> no, I'm afraid not, my friend. It doesn't work that way. What do you mean? Not until we get to Mount Shenglong together, and not until Mai Li gets to speak to her father. 
I'm coming with you to the Himalayas. You're stuck with me and my charming personality until then. What? Looks like we're all taking a little hiking trip together. Oberlin, give him the codes and leave as soon as we get to Lhasa. There's no way I'm that- not leaving, Miley. I'm not leaving you. Forgive me if I start having a moment, but she's fucking right, Oberlin. Give me the codes, get the fuck out of China, and you have my word that I won't pursue you. How the fuck do you know I won't pursue you? I could rip your fucking eyes out. Hey, hey! Let's get something straight. We've all got a long trip together. If we're gonna do this, really do this, and get to Mount Chenglong, then we've got a hell of a lot of work to do. We need to determine routes, supplies, guides, everything. So if you want to have a samurai showdown, I'm gonna suggest you save your energy until after the mission. Don't be fucking stupid. Right now, stupid could kill every one of us. I just want to speak to my father. Wit took out the push knife again and started to pick at some of the dirt underneath his fingernails. Well, since it looks like none of us will be going anywhere for a while, let's just start going over that map of yours. Looks like we're pulling into Lhasa. About time. I have a transport arranged to take us to Tingri, leaving in three hours. The report says there's a low-pressure system moving in, so I suggest we not be late. Understood. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to powder my nose. Your nose looks fine. I didn't ask you. Miley got up and left to go to the restroom, closing and locking the door behind her. Well, come to think of it, I think I may want to shake the oil. <laughs> you listen to me, you little insect. You are not important. Do you understand? You are totally insignificant. Let go of me, you fucking lunatic. You better make goddamn sure that you keep that Chinese bitch's feet tapping, because as soon as she loses interest in you, I promise you that you're a dead man. If only I had your charm. I want to take back what you stole from me. You had no right. If I could cut you open and take it back, I would. I swear I would. Fucking asshole! You got it! It's in your goddamn hand! You've got the briefcase! Do whatever the fuck you want with Not it! Not the damn briefcase! My identity! You stole my identity! What the fuck are you talking about? You're insane! My ear, you bastard! They can recognize me now! They can all recognize me! You took it away from my me! My god! You perverted little sociopath! Is the universe that goddamn small that it only revolves around you? crying about what you've lost. Your identity. What about my identity? What you fucking took from me? I'm an engineer and you ruined my hand. You took that away from me. I can't get my finger back any more than your lost ear. So we're both damaged. One important difference. What's that? You started this, not me. You started it. No, I didn't. The war was already on its way. This is so much bigger than you. It's even bigger than me. You're just... Just insignificant. Now you listen to me. You listen. Gun or no gun, I'm not afraid of you anymore. You'll see. When we get to Mount Shenglong, you'll see. I'll see what? That I was right. Right about what? What the hell is going on out here? Nothing. Just guy talk. (laughs) Yeah, guy talk. Well, remind me to thank God I don't have a penis. Why don't you get your things from your cabin, Wit? I need a moment alone with Oberlin. Wit stood his ground. You have the briefcase, Wit, and we clearly have nowhere to run. Please, we'll meet you on the main platform. Wit stared at the two of them and then turned to retreat to his cabin. Miley... Listen to me. You take this envelope. There's about $10,000 inside and the passport that has you is Stuart Clanahan. I'll take care of Wit Roberts, but you need to get the hell out of here. Out of Tibet. It's way too dangerous. The dining car has an alternate exit Stop it! Just stop. I'm not leaving you, Miley. You saved my life. 
and we're in this together. And I know that you're this gorgeous super spy and I'm just a dumb mick, but I can still help. I want to help. And, and I want to make sure that miserable son of a bitch wit gets you to your father. Plus, I, I've got to find out what's going on with Tully. Tully? Well, him and other stuff. Other stuff? His index finger lightly touched hers. I want to make sure I get to the other stuff. You're making a mistake. No, I'm not. I'm... You'll slow me down and I... I'll walk fast. You don't understand. I don't need you with me. You don't know that. Then I know I don't want you with me. Miley, please, don't make decisions for me. Your father did that to you. Please don't put me through the pain that you've carried inside yourself for so many years. The pain of not knowing. Please, let me come with you. No, you have to leave Tibet. Miley, I'm not fucking around. I want to come with you, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. If you don't let me, I'll go straight to the police and tell them where they can find the most wanted rogue spy on the planet, and then you'll never get to see your father. Please, Miley, I'm not as weak as I look. Let me come with you. Fine. Good. Miley slung her khaki knapsack over her shoulder and grabbed the handle of one of her bags. But Oberlin? Yes? Grab the cognac out of the minibar. It's going to be very cold where we're going. Lhasa, Tibet. Taxi. The Manasara of our hotel, off Gongbatang Road. What are these? Our travel documents. Passport, credit cards, driver's license. You'll need to present these to the hotel or to any other authorities that might detain you. They contain false identities that are untraceable. I see. Senjin, why are we in a taxi? Don't you usually have a driver? Usually. Then why are we using public transportation? Because we're trying to be careful. Trying to stay below the radar screen and stay unpredictable. I don't we want... We just flew into an economically depressed country on a private jet. I think that You will... see these documents you're holding in your hand? Yes. Well, the man that provided them to me was found dead 20 hours ago in a parking lot in the Bronx. Someone knows we're on the move. They might even know that we're here. Black though. Unclear, but likely. So for right now, the smartest thing we can do is... is the unexpected. I expected you to have a chauffeur and private car to take us around Lhasa. But instead, we're taking a taxi to the city center. That's smart. You're right about the plane, though. That was conspicuous. But we had no choice if we wanted to get here quickly. If we want any chance of getting Mikel and Orsel back, then we have to stay one step ahead of the Black Door group. Dawdling won't help us. Having it look like the plane only stopped for refueling. It's on its way to Damodovo Airport near Moscow. We're in danger right now, aren't we? It's worth whatever risks we have to take. We didn't survive for several centuries just to lose it now to some, some mortals that can outmaneuver us. Why does Black Door want to kill us? Because men must always slay the gods they worship in order to progress. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Black Door feels that, as immortals, we represent a threat to U.S. sovereignty. That because Leviathan has superior technology, far greater economic resources, and operates independently from the geopolitical rules that every other nation adheres to, if there's one thing the U.S. government doesn't like, it's anybody as powerful as they are. It's why we've always worked so hard to stay secret, undetectable. If they think we're such a threat, then why hasn't Black Door told the whole world about us yet? Greed. Just sheer greed. They don't want to just eliminate us. They want to capture us and everything that we've built. They want our genes, they want our money, and they want whatever it is that mortal men want. They won't stop hunting us, will they? Remember, Nathaniel, there's a very fine line between hunter and hunted. We have venom, too. I don't want you to worry. Just remember to only use the name that's printed on your false papers. For the time being, that's the only identity you have. It should keep us safe for a little while. Right. Sension? What? Thank you. For what? Well, for doing all of this. For taking such steps to keep me safe. I'm sorry for what I said earlier on the plane. (sighs) That's fine, Nathaniel. 
it's fine. The taxi pulled into the large central courtyard of the Manasarova International Hotel. The massive building could have easily been mistaken for a government building due to its sheer size. Four thick columns framed a short, wide staircase leading from the street into the hotel lobby. In the distance, Nathaniel could see the Potala Palace looming high above the central city and seemed to be an extension of the Himalayas that surrounded Lhasa. Large red Chinese letters were displayed on the front of the hotel building, with smaller English letters off to the side. The taxi stopped in front of the concrete steps that led upwards to an ornate lobby. Good afternoon, sir. May I take your bags? Oh, yes. Thank you very much. No, no, no. I've got them. Thank you. Nathaniel, why don't you sit down there and let me check us in? All right. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Checking in. Excellent, sir. And the name? Sigler. Dr. Eugene Beauregard Sigler. Sigler. You're not by any chance related to... Uh, we prefer not to discuss that side of the family. Of course. I completely understand. Your room is just being prepared for you. If you'd like to have a drink at the bar, I'll send someone as soon as it's ready. Thank you. My colleague and I will just be over here. What did he say? He said our room will be ready shortly. We should change clothes quickly and head to the market square as soon as possible. We can use this time to contact Alexander and see if he's been able to discover anything. Nathaniel and Senshin walked to the far corner of the hotel lobby and sat down closely to each other. Senshin removed a thick laptop from his scratched leather satchel and activated the communication software. A bespectacled man with a closely cropped beard appeared on the screen. I'm assuming you're not calling for a ski report. Actually, I was wondering if you knew a good place for Chinese food while I'm in China. Cute. I'm all aground, but so far I have no leads. Back in New York, our trail was getting hot. Tell me what you've been able to find out. Where is Black Door now? Ascension, I'm not coming up with much. No unusual trip movement, no black market chatter. I've monitored the local police channel. Nothing. Alex, there has to be something. They're in Tibet for a reason. Whit Roberts is somehow trying to lure McAllen here. He's got to be making his presence known. Come on, Ascension. It's Black Door. They know how to disappear when they want to. I know, I know. Still. Look, it might not mean anything, but I did intercept some chatter from Chinese satellite intel, issuing a bunch of relocation instructions. It seems like there is some sort of satellite traffic knocking them around. I don't understand. The best that I can explain is that we're seeing a concentration of satellite activity over a high altitude area south of Tingri. But as for what it means... Yeah, what does that mean? I have the slightest idea. It doesn't give us much to work with. Alex, have you tried... Excuse me, Mr. Sigler. Your room is now ready, sir. I have to go, Alex. I'll contact you as soon as I can. Senshin quickly snapped his laptop shut, and he and Nathaniel rose to follow the bellhop that was now ascending a large semicircular staircase that led to the hotel elevators. When they reached the fourth floor, the bellhop led the two of them to an impressive room at the end of the long hallway. The double doors to the room opened to a spacious two-bedroom suite with red-high lacquer cabinetry against the far wall, two small couches in the center, and a giant floor-to-ceiling window overlooking the city center of Lhasa. This will be your room, Mr. Sigler. As you can see, the room provides you with an excellent view overlooking the city, as well as Potala Palace. I hope you find your accommodations to be satisfactory. If you need anything at all, please don't hesitate. We don't need anything. Thank you, but we're going to be heading out shortly. Of course. I'll leave you to your room. The bellhop turned and left the room, closing the door behind him. At the same time, almost a full mile away, Whit Roberts pulled back the massive bolt on the M107 Barrett sniper rifle and brought his right eye to the laser-sighted scope. Target zero acquired. Coordinated right where you said he'd be, Jason. I'm taking the shot. I've waited a long time for this, Senshin.
Whit Roberts felt a 9mm bullet scream just over his head, so close that his short auburn hair lifted to reach it. The shock of being fired upon startled Whit Roberts so much that his hand jerked uncontrollably, thus firing the trigger of the Barrett sniper rifle he was crouched over. Whit leapt to his feet and darted backwards, simultaneously drawing his R9S from its holster. My Lee was calmly walking towards him with her gun aimed directly at him. You fucking bitch! What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing, Whit? A little extra credit project for door number 12? Are you out of your criminally delusional mind? Taking out a target with a traceable high-caliber weapon? You said you had a meeting with a local contact. This was my local contact. You're a liar, Whit. And I don't work with liars. My father contacted me directly. I don't need you look, as a part look, of- Look, I'm sorry. I have orders just like you. It was a stupid gamble, and getting to Mount Shenglong is a bigger priority. I don't think you're even the slightest bit sorry. I had sorry. a reason for doing this. An important reason. I found something you need to see. I can't imagine what you could possibly show me that way. Whit threw his fist into Miley's face, <laughs> feeling her nose break under his knuckles. Miley tried her best to absorb the punch, letting the momentum of the blow spin her around and set her up for a roundhouse kick aimed directly at Whit's legs. But the kick missed its mark, and the round toe of her boot connected with Whit's chin, whipping his head to the left. Wit's vision clouded for a moment, but instinct forced him to throw up his elbow, blocking the follow-up punch that he knew was coming. After swinging with her right, Wit knew Miley would throw a straight left. He dropped to one knee and buried his fist into her stomach, knocking the wind out of her. Miley crumpled on the ground, gasping for breath. Wit jumped to his feet, but was still wobbly from the powerful kick Miley had landed across his face. He backed up a step and ran towards her like a midfielder kicking a penalty shot. He brought his leg back, aiming for her face. But before his foot could connect, Miley grabbed a hold of his foot and twisted his ankle with all of her might. Miley knew she had one chance and reached up his legs to grab his testicles with both hands and squeezed with all her might. With his free leg, Wit slammed his boot into Miley's face, knocking her five feet backwards. And as she tried to stand up, her balance was lost, causing her to tumble towards the ledge of the roof. A decrepit aerial antenna stood in her way. She grabbed it, but it was too late. She was too close to the ledge. The small retaining wall that ran along the edge of the roof kicked her legs out from under her. She began falling five stories straight down. So this is where it ends. The weight of Miley's falling body ripped the antenna off the roof and tumbled over the edge along with her. I really didn't expect <laughs> But the connecting cables within the antenna stood firm and snapped taut, supporting Miley's dangling body over the ledge of the abandoned building. Wearily, Whit Roberts got back to his feet. The deep ache in his groin radiated outward to the extremities of his body. But seeing Miley like this, vulnerable, inches from death, brought a reluctant smile to his face. It's over now. You're over, Miley. You are a problem. A nasty, dirty little problem that I'm about to solve. He limped over to the ledge. It's not that far down, Miley. Maybe five or six stories. When I cut these cables, I want you to try to keep your feet underneath you. You might just live, but maybe not if I put a bullet in your head. It's nice to have such wonderful choices. <laughs> Either way, I'm going to win, and you are going to lose. Wit unsheathed one of his push knives and hovered it over my Lee's hand. I told you I would happily disobey my orders to protect you if you gave me any problem. Well now, I finally get to make sure that you are never a problem again. You're the only problem here, Wit. Don't move. Not even a fucking inch. Drop the knife and kick it away from you. Wit remained motionless as the barrel of the Glock was pushed against his temple. Shoot me and your girlfriend will never see her father. Pull the trigger and you will never ever see your friend Tully. You don't know shit about- I know where Tully is now. He's in Leviathan. So is McAllen Orsel. If you want to ever see them alive again, put the gun down. Think this through, Oberlin. 
Like I told you on the train, this isn't about just you and me. The gun goes down when Miley gets up. Help her now. Wit reluctantly reached over the side of the roof and pulled Miley back onto the roof. She fell backwards onto the ground and stared at Wit Roberts with hatred. And for a split second, nobody moved an inch. It's the police. There have been reports of shots. They'll be here soon. What do you want to do, Wit? Goddamn the both of you. There's a minivan downstairs with the sign for Lynn Blant Travel Adventures. <coughs> Get in. It'll take us to the outskirts of Lhasa, where we'll rendezvous with the military supply truck to Tingri. We'll be late. We need to get to Shenlong sooner. And don't worry. Once we get outside Tingri, we'll be using a more specialized form of transportation. Back in the Manasarova Hotel. Ascension dodged to the side as the door to his hotel room vaporized, leaving the smallest shards of presswood smoldering on the edges. Ascension felt a hot burn on the left side of his face where the bullet had just missed. Nathaniel! I'm here, Ascension. I'm okay. I'm okay. Stay down. We've got to get out of here. When I say go, we're going to make a break for the hallway. Ready? Now! The two of them sprinted down the hallway until they reached the elevators. No, this way! The elevators? No, 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 too dangerous. They'll be staked out in the lobby. Who? Black door! They found us! They planted people in the hotel. Quick, use the fire escape! Nathaniel and Senshin sprinted to the door at the end of the hallway, with glowing Chinese characters above it. They rounded the curve in the hallway before they saw two men wearing hotel uniforms and holding massive SIG 516 assault rifles. Too much firepower. Can't engage them. Need to think fast. Think of something that will... And he then saw it, there, by the door. Senshin pulled out his Walter PK-380 and fired just to the right of the two approaching assassins. The bullet hit the fire extinguisher beside the door dead on and exploded inches from the two men sent to kill Senshin and Nathaniel. Come on, hurry. There'll be more any second. Down the fire escape. We've got to get to the street. The two of them tore down the scaffolding in the rear of the building. They jumped down the last two stories, landing squarely on their feet and started sprinting towards the city center. Both Nathaniel and Senshin started scanning the neighborhood buildings for any sign of the Black Door assassin who had shot at them. Which one? Any of them has a clear shot at our room. There's, there's no way to... Wait, Nathaniel, look at that roof over there. There's a woman hanging off the side. I think we just found our building. Let's move. Move, move. The two of them raced towards the disheveled building, ten blocks away. Each of them was pushing their immortal physiology as hard as they could, covering the distance in what would have been faster than a four-minute mile pace. They arrived in the low-slung building entrance. I can hear police coming. There's not much time. Nathaniel, you stay down here for 30 seconds, then follow. If you hear gunshots, you run. If anybody comes at you, you run. Sanchez! I need you down here to make sure that we're not walking into an ambush. Count to 30, then meet me on the roof. Without another word, Senshin raced up the stairs three at a time and stood outside the rusted steel door to the roof. He pressed the side of his face against the filthy door and tried to slow down his breathing. There has to be at least two. A sniper and a lookout, maybe three. The lookout will be the must. I'm out of the equation first. Have to move quick. One shot, one, one kill. kill. Ascension burst onto the roof, eyes scanning for targets, looking in front, on the sides, nothing. He quickly whipped around, expecting an ambush attack from behind. Nothing. His eyes even looked above him. A trick, perhaps. But above him as well, there was nothing. The roof was entirely empty. Ascension! The police are coming soon! We have to get out of here! What did you find? Nothing. I found nothing. Ascension! 
There's a satchel in the corner. In his frantic search for human adversaries, Senshin had overlooked a khaki knapsack that almost blended in perfectly with the dirt and garbage-strewn rooftop. He tore over to the far corner of the roof where the knapsack lay. Senshin ripped off the buckles and dumped all the contents on the ground. Clothes, GPS device, a survival knife all lay scattered, but one thing in particular caught Senshin's attention. He picked up the large folded piece of paper and unfolded it in front of his face. Nathaniel began running over. What is it? It's a map. Of what exactly? A place called Mount Shanglung. You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Happy New Year! This is Christoph, your author and creator of the Leviathan Chronicles, and you just finished listening to Chapter 23, Laza. And the race is on between Oberlin St. Clair, Miley, and Whit Roberts trying to get to Mount Shunglung, but Senshin and Nathaniel are hot on their heels. Who will get there first? What will they find when they get there? Those answers will be coming in Chapter 24, The Showdown at Mount Shunglung Part 1. I will warn you that Chapter 24 is shaping up to be the longest episode we have ever done of Leviathan. It's going to be well over an hour. Work is already well underway on that. We're going to try and get that out as quickly as possible. We've got some great promos for you guys to listen to, especially one from Variant Frequencies written by Matt Wallace called Fail Cities. This thing sounds really awesome. Definitely check that out. We're getting some really great promos from you all. So if you're a podcaster and you're listening, definitely shoot over those promos. Uh, we love hearing new stuff here at Leviathan, so, so definitely shoot that in. So we're in 2010, a new year, and this is probably the most important year of Leviathan. A lot of important things are happening. We're finishing the season. We're going to be launching the audiobook, uh, hopefully for sale uh, on iTunes. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening in the interim, as well as um, season two will get launched probably towards the end of the year. Um, and that's going to have a very kind of different format than what we've done here. It's one that I think you guys are going to like a whole lot more and will ensure much quicker uh, episode drops. But I'm going to talk about all of that in the soapbox that I'm going to do with Nobi. That's probably going to be coming in about a week to 10 days from now. So look for that. And as always, I just want to thank you all so much for being fans of Leviathan. I had a wonderful holidays. It was a great time to kind of reflect on the year past. And having you all as fans, your emails have just been so inspiring. I really mean that. It's been, uh, in some ways, you know, a tough year with everything going on in the economy. But... As I've said before, it's also been the best year of my life because I've never felt as creative and, quite frankly, as appreciated and as fulfilled as you all have made me feel. Uh, Leviathan has been, you know, as I've said before, one of the best things I've done, and I want to thank you all for, for being such amazing fans. Please keep Twittering. Please keep leaving reviews on iTunes. All those reviews really help. They help raise our profile. Uh, keep telling your friends. Uh, burn CDs. Uh, look for our new website. That is going to be coming hopefully in the next six weeks. I know I've been talking about it forever, but um, these things just take more time than, than I thought. Uh, so this is Christoph signing off. Chapter 24, The Showdown at Mount Shunglung, coming soon. Check out our cool promos. I will see you guys all.
As a black snowfall blankets the failed cities on Christmas Eve, the arrival of 99 mysterious steel chambers sets a series of far-from-blessed events in motion. Eight people become links in a deadly chain that will either tether innocent lives to safety or strangle any hope for their future. And as each part of the story unfolds, we learn that above all things, Christmas in the failed cities is a feverishly struck balance between the constant threat of violence and the briefest, most bittersweet moments of joy. Variant Frequencies presents The Failed Cities, Half a Darkness, by Matt Wallace, starting on December 1st and ending on Christmas Day. And voila, here's the Starbase. Lord Vader, what brings you here to my humble Where is the Jedi? I don't think this one is a friendly Jedi. We need to help Sakata. The Starbase has an Imperial ID, but does not respond to our hail, Lord Vader. This base doesn't even appear in the Imperial database. I will board alone. I have a strange feeling about this place. Where's the secret weapon? What have you discovered? Captain! Ascanas indicate new enemy contacts. X-Wing fighters. Battle station. Launch one TIE squadron. Move the ship closer to the base and use turbolaser batteries to provide cover fire. Protect it at all costs. Keep those starfighters away until Lord Vader is out of there. This is Ghost Leader. Target confirmed straight ahead. Ah, Criff! That Star Destroyer is right on top of us! Time to demonstrate your fancy flying, sis. Ghost Squadron, this is Leader. You heard the Providence. Line up for your runs and fire all torpedoes. Let's blow this base and get the hell out of here. Recall all squadrons. Get the Devastator away from that base. Evasive action! Why is it that you persist in saving the humans, Elena? Is it love? Is it nostalgia for what we once were? What purpose could you possibly have that could not be better served by a heart of gears and steam? Jonathan Andrews thought that his life was turned upside down when he joined a secret society of wizards, but he had no idea what was in store for him. Join Jonathan and the others as they delve through the mystery that threatens all life on the planet. Listen to the free podcast at thegearheart.com. Among the querulous island kingdoms of Wefravane, the only unifying power is religion, a wyvern cult ruled by an eccentric high priestess. The system is under attack by a gang of pirates called the Guild of the Cowrie Catchers, who prey on temple treasure ships. The temple police charged with eradicating this menace keep disappearing. Enter Gerard, a young prince exiled from his small island kingdom for rashly marrying the court minstrel. My captain of police has been missing for a red month. It is time to consider him dead, and I have decided that you will replace him. Gerard is smart, honorable, and a little naive. To break the pirate ring, he must cooperate with a wily, amoral colleague who has already tried to kill him twice. Everyone's wrong. Everyone cheats. Everyone will sell you for the right price. There are no real choices. 
as Gerard struggles to protect his talented wife. You are good. Good things cannot be evil. Obey his seductive employer. I'm sorry to have startled you, Captain. No, you're not. You're enjoying it. And forge a complicated friendship with his dangerous co-worker. I'm not your friend, Holivar. I've given you my one and only piece of good advice. Go home. He becomes increasingly aware that the pirates have a legitimate quarrel with the wyverns. Dark secrets lurk in the temple dungeons, and solving them will cost Gerard far more than his honor. The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers is an illustrated podcast. Learn more and view illustrations at cowriecatchers.com. I'm the author, Abigail Hilton, and you may have listened to my first series, The Prophet of Panamandora. Cowrie Catchers is a darker, grittier story. Subscribe and experience a Panamandora you've never heard before. There are many things that we can all do that may help stop the spread of the coronavirus. But one thing we can all do is to have a plan in case you do get sick. First, consult with your health care provider for more information about monitoring your health for symptoms suggestive of COVID-19. Second, stay in touch with others by phone or email. You may need to ask for help from friends, family, neighbors, community health workers, or more if you become sick. And finally, determine who can care for you if your caregiver gets sick. For more information, go to cdc.gov and be well, everyone.